And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. It's our wonderful privilege today to have Superintendent Tommy Moore with us. Tommy, come on up here, as, even as I talk. You know, uh, for 25 years, Tommy pastored over in Bonifay, and he pastored a church that's in the middle of nowhere. In fact, I mean, it's out in the woods. Out in the how, how far were you from the closest? 14 miles from Piggly Wiggly, okay? And folks, you would think, well, it's, okay, 35 miles from a Walmart. You would think that a church, a church like that might be a little country church. I want you to know, they were a church of five, six, seven hundred people. Big, big, beautiful buildings. Truly a, a reasonable, a regional church. In fact, their church became a case study and how to be a successful rural congregation and how to give leadership to that. And eight years ago, Brother Tommy left his church to become our superintendent. What that means is that he's a superintendent of the West Florida District of the Assemblies of God, about 170 congregations, but there's about 400 or more pastors like myself that he actually serves as a pastor for. So when I have problems, when I need prayer, you know who I call? I call Brother Tommy Moore. I'm just so privileged that he's here today. Would you make him welcome, Brother Tommy Moore? God bless you, buddy. Thank you so very much, Pastor, and good morning, Evangel. Good to see you this morning. What a wonderful day. If you're visiting with us today at Evangel, we don't uh, do this every Sunday. And some people say, well, what are you doing? Is this man worship? No, this is appropriate honor, giving honor where honor is due. And that is a biblical mandate. Amen. And to, to honor those who God has given us is a right thing to do. So this is a special day at Evangel. And uh, we're excited to be a part of it. I think this is my fifth year of being with you, Pastor, on Pastor Appreciation Day. And that's, I don't have a track record like that anywhere else in the district. So hallelujah, I like coming to Evangel, amen? Uh, so we appreciate so very much the opportunity to be with you today. And uh, it is a wonderful privilege to honor your pastor and his family. And uh, also, Miss Reese is not with me this morning, but she sends her love to you. We actually just returned from a week of vacation, which we had not had yet this year and it was good to slip away uh, for a little while. And we actually got home last night at midnight. And we actually have another uh, section-wide meeting over in Crestview this afternoon and tonight with the churches there like you'll be having later on in November with your section. And uh, we drive out from there to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, where we'll be speaking for the Alabama District Minister's Retreat uh, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, so we're going to drive tonight, get to somewhere north of Birmingham. I got us a room and we'll stay there uh, about midnight tonight, get up in the morning, drive on into Gatlinburg and do a three-day retreat there. So it's just kind of a busy time. And she said, well, if you want any clothes to wear to Tennessee, I got to stay home and pack because we took everything we had on vacation. I said, okay, so stay home and take care of the necessities and we'll uh, uh, have church and see you in a little while. So she sends her love this morning, but life is just happening with us like it does with you sometimes. So we're, we're thrilled to be here and uh, certainly honor your pastor and his family, as we've already said. Let me just make mention before we get started with the word this morning, and we're going to be conscious of your time and get you out of here in a, a good time this morning. But uh, today is an interesting day in our district. As Pastor mentioned, eight, eight years ago, uh, actually just last week would have been eight years ago that we were elected to the office. November 1st will be eight years that we've been actually in the office. But uh, we've had some challenging times in our district in that eight years. One of the most challenging times was one year ago on October the 10th when Hurricane Michael came ashore and just ripped right through the heart of our district. We actually have 162 churches currently active in our district, and 80 of them were in the path of the storm. 50 of them received damage at one level or another, 20 of which was very serious damage, and five of those 20 was catastrophically damaged in the Panama City area. 
Today in Panama City, one year after, this is our one-year Sunday anniversary, first Sunday after the storm, one year ago, and I've been communicating with pastors this morning because there's a lot of PTSD involved in all this too. Let me tell you, PTSD is real. Uh, if you don't believe it, just, well, you believe it anyway, but uh, it is. So uh, our guys are facing a lot of stuff right now with kind of just remembering where we were a year ago at this time. But one full year out, let me just give you a little report. Uh, we still do not have a church, an Assemblies of God church in the Panama City area that is back to normal. We don't have one yet. We're 12 months out from the storm and there's no church this morning that is meeting in their regular facilities with their regular schedule. Now by that I mean some of our churches might have a sanctuary that they're meeting in, but many of them if they are, it's concrete floors and they're sitting in folding chairs because because everything has been ripped out because of the mold. Some of them are meeting in family life centers or fellowship halls that were not as damaged as the other parts of the building. Everything is just tossed and turned. There's, there's no norm to any of it. None of our churches are back to their full schedule by any means. And all of our churches report that anywhere from, or most of our churches rather, we do have a couple of smaller churches that ended up having some folks come and join them from other churches and they've actually grown just a little bit. Uh, they went from 20 to 30. So uh, that's good. We're glad for that. But uh, for most of our churches in Panama City, the report to us is that from one half to one third of their congregation is no longer a part of their church body since the storm hit because of the closing of Tyndall Air Force Base uh, temporarily. Of course, they're rebuilding it. We're believing it's going to come back strong. The reduction of the health care system there drastically in Panama City area, the closing of the schools in the Panama City area because of the number of students that are gone. This impacts the churches just like it does the total economy. So our churches are floundering still this morning with some with less than half of the congregation that they had uh, exactly over a year ago now before the storm hit. So I just say all of that to you this morning to ask you, I know there was some impact even here in Tallahassee, certainly in the Mariana area. We're still seeing it. Someone mentioned to me in the hall a while ago, they were over in Mariana last week, said, wow, I couldn't believe how bad everything still looks over there. I said, yeah, if you, if you don't realize it, it starts there and it just gets worse as you go south. And uh, it's still an ongoing, a real ongoing issue for our churches. And I say all of that to you just to ask you to continue to pray. Pray for our churches in the, what we call the impact zone from her Hurricane Michael. Continue to pray for our ministers. Uh, we are engaging with uh, various entities to assist them, including Emerge Ministries, and uh, hoping to do in the next few weeks some actual on-site uh, counselors coming in just simply to help because the emotional load has been huge from this storm. And uh, the people in the area are feeling it. Our pastors are feeling it. And uh, we just ask you to continue to pray. Pray for God's provision. Pray for favor with insurance and adjusters and everybody else that's involved. Those have almost become ugly words and you don't even want to say insurance companies or adjusters anymore because it brings this, I want to choke somebody feeling out in you and uh, you just don't need that. So uh, but God knows who they are, where they are and how to move on their hearts, amen? And we need some favor this morning. Uh, a year is long enough and uh, if they haven't measured enough measurements and taken enough pictures and figured out enough stuff with the three sets of engineers and everything else, that we've dealt with with them, uh, then I think that they, they have enough data. I think they need to do some check writing, amen? And so can, I'm, I'm, this is my therapy this morning. Give me just a minute to vent, all right? Uh, but uh, a year out, and I just think we're ready to see some cash, all right? So uh, just keep praying. Our pastors and, and churches are still struggling, but God is faithful. I sent them all a text this morning and said, uh, you know, the words of the song, he that's brought us safe thus far will lead us safely home, amen? Uh, we can trust in our God to see us all the way through. So thank you this morning. I just wanted to give you that little update. And could I share one more pastoral prayer request from my perspective this morning? Uh, we have several missionaries in Ecuador. And you're not seeing a lot of this on the national news because we have to talk about other stuff on the news and uh, keep all that stirred up. And, you know, if the media shut up about it, it might go away and they don't want that to happen. So uh, they just keep talking about it. But anyway, there's other stuff happening in the world today besides the silliness of what's happening in America. But anyway, 
We won't get on that, excuse me. That, that was an apolitical statement. I said silliness. I don't care which side you're looking at. There's just a lot of silliness going on in our world. With the real problems that we have, uh, there's just a lot of stuff happening that I think we could do without. But anyway, we'll get past that this morning. But Ecuador is um, really uh, suffering this morning. There is political unrest there, and uh, the government removed the economic subsidies that has carried that country for many years, and overnight they removed them, and therefore gas prices doubled and food prices doubled and all of this. We have missionaries that are caught in that this morning. We have some missionaries uh, that are actually needing to get out of the country to come home for important uh, reasons, one particular being their wedding uh, and uh, uh, other things that are going on in some of their lives this morning. Uh, The Wells and Zach Meredith and others that we have there that are a part of our West Florida District extended family. And they're in a very tense situation this morning. So as you pray today, would you pray for our missionary family around the world, but particularly this morning, I'm asking you for special prayer for our missionary friends in Ecuador this morning. They need that. They need a covering. That country needs peace, and we need God to bring revival there. Amen? Praise God. Well, let's get down to business this morning. I appreciate our brother uh, from the board making a comment earlier, and and he set the stage for us. He set the ball on the tee uh, exactly where we're going this morning. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 It's a familiar uh, verse of scripture. I'm sure that you have heard it before. I want to talk to you this morning about a good shepherd, a good shepherd this morning. Ephesians 4 and 11, and he gave gifts. He was giving out gifts. The Lord is giving out gifts. And what were they? Well, some were apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, when I first started pastoring, I had been youth pastor at three churches uh, before I became a senior pastor. And then I became a senior pastor at the ripe old age of 23. Reese and I were 23 years old when we stepped into our first and only senior pastorate that would last for 24 plus years uh, that the Lord blessed us to pastor at Carmel, as Pastor alluded to earlier. So when I first looked at this and I was told that this has was the job description, verse 12 was the job description of the pastor for the perfecting of the saints... I got a little scared, but if you'll notice, really, that word would better be interpreted equipping and not perfecting. (laughs) That takes a real load off of the pastor when he realizes that his job is not to create a church full of perfect people. I know he's almost succeeded here. I know our pastor today has almost succeeded in that. I understand that. But I can assure you, I'm here today, so there's some imperfection in the room, all right? I'll just take blame for it all. But let me assure you that it is impossible to create a church full of perfect people. Could I go a little further and tell you it is absolutely impossible to have a perfect pastor and perfect pastoral staff, although you've probably got the closest thing to it you'll ever find, but I'm telling you, it's hard for anyone. Why? Because the human element is involved in what we do in church and ministry. Amen? I'm just as human as you are. Uh, everybody in this church is just as human as you are. We are susceptible to things like misjudgment. We are susceptible to things like uh, miscalculations or assumptions that we shouldn't have made or things that we thought. We, we can even miss God. Oh, that's scary, I know. But you can. I mean, there's been times in my ministry when I thought I'd heard from God. Come to find out I hadn't heard from God, that that God was trying to say something different, and I I had it all confused. That's why it it, it gets a little dicey, and we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But thank God the, the, uh, the objective is not perfection in the eyes of man. The objective is that we become all together in the church, in the body of Christ, as the scripture tells us, a body that is fitly framed together. Everyone doing what they're supposed to do. The real job of the pastor, if you want to sum it up, is probably not what we have listed in pastoral job descriptions through the years in churches, and especially coming from what I call the old school of ministry that I was raised in. Uh, I was raised in an Assemblies of God pastor's home, churches 
all I've ever known. I was almost born at church. They did get me around to the hospital. Mother stayed a few hours and we got back in time for Wednesday night church, I was told. So I don't much remember much about the service, but I told, was told we did get back in time for church on Wednesday night. So uh, church is all I've ever known. My mother used to make a, a pallet. Anybody know what a pallet is? Three of us. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, we're all getting AARP mail now. I know that feeling. So I know what a pallet is. That means she had this little blanket thing she took to church. She folded it up under the front pew. She sat right there on that pew and you got under there and you didn't come out. The church was over. That was children's church. <laughs> That was the nursery. That was all of it in our day. I thank God we we have progressed a long way, and I'm glad of it. But you knew not to come out. Of course, it was dangerous to come out in those days. Church was alive. I mean, there's folks running and jumping, and hairpins are flying, and high heel shoes are clopping, and you'd kid would get hurt bad if they came out from under there. So there's a lot of incentive. That in my mother's hand, if she ever reached under that pew and snapped her finger, oh boy, that's all you needed. Or boy, if daddy ever had to stop and say, of course, even after we grew up, we had to sit with my mother in church until I had a driver's license. I mean, there's this thing, it's right of passage. You get a driver's license and you don't have to sit with your mother anymore. That was the, the rule. That was the rule at our house. But boy, even when I started sitting along and daddy was ever up preaching and man, he ever had to look back there at us if we were talking or whatever, you know, I wanted to go home with the deacon's kids that day. I'm done, yeah, I really didn't want to go home. But so I've been raised in church all my life. Church is what I've known. And I love church. I love the body of Christ. But the, you know, so the old school thinking was, was a little bit different about what the pastor's real job was or is. But really, the scripture tells us here it's really to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's not to do the work of the ministry. There's a portion of the work of the ministry that only a pastor can do. But the reality is their job is really to make all of us equipped to go forth and do the ministry work. And again, that's a little bit different maybe than what we were taught through the years. You see, that's one of the things that's a problem with a lot of churches today because you have to really balance this and your church has done a great job of this and always will. But some churches have the misnomer or the misconception that they can hire enough people to do the work of the ministry. Well, guess what? You'll run out of office space and you'll run out of money in the budget trying to hire enough people to do all the work of the ministry. What you hire are people who are able to lead and equip others to do the work of the ministry. That's what you have to, that's, you have to have a pastoral staff. In a church your size, one person can't be the only person that's fully responsible for everything. There is that individual, but there has to be all of these support individuals, but still the role is that each one of them develop people under them to do the work of the ministry, do the work of the ministry. It's for the body. Body, the whole body. You see, that's, uh, you have to understand that's what we are. We're a body. And every part of this body has a necessary function. Amen? Every part of this body has a necessary function. And the, the lead pastor's role is through, through staff pastors and lay leadership and whatever other tools they use is to develop this body into being all that it can possibly be to impact Tallahassee and the world for the cause of Jesus Christ and expand the kingdom of God. Amen. That's, that's, that's the real role of the pastor. I'd like to break down three major components this morning of a shepherding pastor's role. And for most of us, that's how we see our pastor, and I think that we should. Just the very word pastor seems to have a shepherding connotation to it. And I believe that it does. And I think that when you look at the shepherding piece of the pastoral role, there's three components that I want to talk about very quickly this morning. And then I want to draw a parallel, if I can, this morning for just a moment on a good shepherd and the good shepherd. There is a difference. There is the good shepherd of which in John 10, Jesus proclaimed himself to be. And then there is a good shepherd like Pastor Terrell Todd and the other pastors that serve in this church that we're honoring today. And I want to talk about both of those kind of mixed together. So follow with me and we'll try to untang untangle it at the end. Okay. The first thing that a pastor as a shepherd to the church, to his sheep 
That's the way you feel about them. The first major component that comes to mind is feeding the sheep, feeding the sheep. A good shepherd feeds the sheep. Amen. Aren't you glad for a pastor that preaches you the word of God? Amen. You know, there is a lot of quote unquote spiritual food out there on the spiritual buffet today. Amen. Oh, wrong time to talk about buffets. I realize that. Yeah. It's already 1120 in fast time, isn't it? <laughs> but, well, no preacher in his right mind would ever want to use the illustration I'm about to, but who said I was in my right mind? So let me use it anyway. You go into these, you go into these big buffet restaurants, you know, Golden Corral type places or whatever they may be, old times or whatever it is. And you go in there and there's just something there for everybody. I mean, if you don't like chicken, you can have the beef. If you don't like the beef, you can have the pork. If you don't like the pork, go get you some fish. Or if you're one of those salad eaters, just go get you plenty of salad. Enjoy your rabbit food. It's fine, all right? Just whatever whatever you feel like you need, just, just go. It's all over the place, all different kinds of stuff. And you can pick and choose. You know, that's kind of the consumer mentality that we live in today in our world. And uh, that has bled over into the church but let me just tell you something. The Bible is not a buffet. <laughs> it's a gloriously, wonderfully well-balanced meal that's been prepared for you like your mother would have prepared your meal for you. And remember what she said, eat your vegetables. <laughs> you see, we don't like the Brussels sprouts of the Word of God. We don't like the things that sometimes we need from the Word of God. Because we have that buffet mentality, that consumer mentality in our minds sometimes. And we come into church and we sit down and we say, hey, I want to hear something that I want to hear. I want to hear what I like to hear. Talk to me. Talk to me. Let me go to the part of the buffet that I like. But as a shepherd, a shepherd is acutely aware of the fact that the flock needs a well-balanced diet of the Word of God. That means you get the good stuff, the faith building, the wonderful things, but you also get the corrective things that are necessary, the vitamins and the minerals that you need to grow you and disciple you in Christ Jesus. The feeding aspect of the sheep is a vital part of what the shepherd does. And I thank God for a shepherd that feeds us on a good balanced diet, aren't you? Amen? I'm glad he doesn't just pick and chew. There's a lot out there. Oh yeah, you can go out there on that spiritual buffet and you can just go just eat the good stuff. And they'll never tell you the rest of the story. But I want to know the rest of the story. Amen. I'm a Paul Harvey kind of guy. I want to know the rest of the story. I want to know what else there is. Tell me the truth. Tell me all the truth. Tell me what it's going to take for me to grow up into this perfected or equipped body that I'm supposed to be and that we are supposed to be. That's why your mother did not let you just eat junk food all the time. That's why she insisted that you eat your vegetables. She wanted you to grow up and be productive. Amen. Can I, without being critical, can I say I'm afraid that we have a lot of sheep whose growth has been stunted and a lot of churches whose growth has been stunted and a lot of believers whose spiritual development has been stunted because they have been fed only a diet of spiritual junk food and not a well-balanced diet of the Word of God that covers all the things that need to be covered. Even if it is reproof and correction, then reprove me, correct me with all long-suffering, gentleness and meekness, all those things. But that is what the Lord wants to happen in our life. And that's the shepherd's responsibility is to feed us that kind of diet. Amen. Jeremiah three fifteen, and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 23 and 4, and I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. John 21, 17, Jesus and Simon Peter is having a discourse back and forth, and, and Jesus said to him the third time, three times he asked Simon, do you really love me? And Simon just got upset with the Lord. Peter got upset. He was grieved, the Bible said, because he asked him three times, do you really love me? And he said, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. Yes, I love you. Jesus said, then if you really love me, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, give them the right, the right diet that they need. 
Give them what they need. Can I tell you, when your pastor preaches to you the full gospel, the unabridged word of God, to grow you and develop you as a church, can I tell you that's just one of the ways of him telling you he loves you and one of the ways of Jesus telling you that he loves you is that he gave you a shepherd that would feed you with truth. Amen? All truth. Amen? Acts 20 and 28. Now we're in the New Testament and it's very clear. The apostle is warning, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all of the flock over to which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. It's a mandate. The Holy Ghost has placed you as an overseer. Now you feed that flock with the word of God. First Peter 5 and 2 said, feed the flock of God. Peter got it, obviously, when him and Jesus was having the discourse. When he wrote his epistle, he referred to it, First Peter 5 and 2. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. What does that mean? You're not paying your pastor to preach to you. You're going to be able to bless him and Miss Kathy in a little bit with a wonderful love offering. And I want you to generously participate in that offering when that opportunity comes, as you are able to do, because they're worthy of that expression of our appreciation to them. But let me tell you, he's not preaching to you for your love offering. He's not preaching to you for the salary that he receives on a weekly basis that he has to have because he has to live just like you have to live. He's preaching to you because God has called him to this church, to this city, and God put the message in his heart. He is a God-ordained minister of the word of God, a preacher of the word of God, and he preaches not for any other motive, but that you might be developed into what God has called you to be. Now, you just need to be thankful for that every day, amen? (laughs) And I believe that you are. Because Romans 10, 13 said, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Amen. Thank God for someone who feeds us a well-balanced diet of the word of God. Let me tell you the second aspect of a good shepherd. A good shepherd not only feeds the sheep, but a good shepherd also cares for the sheep. You see, there's quite a heavy weight in Matthew 25, 34 and beyond that's placed in a parable that Jesus tells about the king saying unto them on his right hand, come blessed of my father inherit the kingdom of heaven prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. (laughs) I'm familiar with that church. (laughs) A lot of needy people there. A lot of needs. That's humanity. They're all going to say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and thirsty and, 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 and naked and, and a stranger and take you? And when did we, when were you sick? When did we go to prison? When did we go to the hospital and visit you? When did we go to jail and visit you? When, when did any of this happen? And then Jesus said, verily I say unto you, and so much as you've done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So there's quite a mandate here though. When, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing that says, oh, wow, I helped somebody. And Jesus says that's just like helping him. Well, it also, if you go on and read it, it says that if you don't do it, it's just like not doing it to him. <laughs> so now all of a sudden this heavy weight seems to be on us that we've got to take care of everybody and we've got to do everything. As I said earlier, one person can't do that. It takes the whole body to minister to the body because we are needy people. We are needy people. And we will remain needy people. As long as we live in these bodies, there will be people to visit in the hospital. (laughs) There will be funerals to preach. There will be things that happen in people's lives. There will be difficult seasons that people walk through. There will be days of darkness that people will, will walk through, as well as great and joyful times, such as weddings and anniversary celebrations and all of those good things that you live life with people in a church family. Let me tell you, that's, a beautiful, that's the beautiful part of pastoring, is that you get to live your life with a group of people and be a part of their life. That also is a great reason why you need to be a part of a body 
body like Evangel Church here in Tallahassee. You need to be able to live your life with people of like precious faith, people that will cry with you when you cry, who will laugh with you when you laugh, who will, will lift you up when you need lifting up, people that will stand with you when everyone else has gone the other direction. That's what the body does. That's what a church does. And it is great. It is most greatly exemplified in the relationship of that shepherd back to those sheep in that caring for and watching for them. You know, if you go to the 23rd Psalm, it's a beautiful, beautiful writing by David. And David was a shepherd, so he fully understood this. Isn't it interesting that God chose the shepherd boy out of Jesse's family to become the king, to place his anointing on, because he knew that shepherd's heart was so vital. But when you go down and you read all of those things that David says that the Lord is to him as the great shepherd and his shepherd in his life, and you notice all of those things, those things like he anoints my head with oil. What's that all about? Because sheep have a tendency to get infections on the top of their head because they'll butt with their head and they'll rub with their head and they get into messes that they don't need to get into. And somebody has to come by and treat them and love on them a little bit and pour that healing oil into their life. It represents the difficult places, the hurting places, the broken places of our life. And I believe, you know, every time you see that good, you, that shepherd in your mind, you see them literally carrying one of the lambs that is maybe has a broken leg or has a problem or an issue and they're helping them to stay up with the pack. What a beautiful picture of the way that our shepherd as our pastor cares for us as a church. But really, it, it, again, it's exemplifying how each of us should care for each other. But the shepherd leads out in that. And the caring aspect of shepherding is vital. And you have a wonderful caring pastor and a pastoral staff in this church that care for you, that'll be there with you in the difficult times, that'll pray with you, that'll counsel with you, that will help you when you need help, that'll stand with you in difficult times when you just need a friend. And that's a good thing to have. Amen. And I'm glad to know that a real shepherd, a good shepherd will always care for their sheep. Amen. And you're blessed with that today. The third component that I want you to look at today is the fact that not only does a good shepherd feed their sheep and care for their sheep, but a good shepherd leads the sheep also. Wow. Proverbs 29 and 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. Leading the sheep. Can I just tell you, I asked pastor's permission to maybe give you some reflections of a shepherd for just a little bit this morning. I didn't tell him what I was going to do. I just said, is it okay if I kind of reflect on my journey as a pastor a little bit? He said, sure, whatever you feel like you want to do. But uh, of the three components that we're talking about here this morning, can I tell you that feeding the sheep is one that I've really always enjoyed. I love to preach. I love to teach. I was sharing with Pastor just here a few moments ago that I've been leading one of our churches, LifePoint Church in Crestview, through a pastoral change. We've had the privilege of working directly with their board and leading their church through that change. And in that process, there was a large gap on Wednesday night in their church with actually no one to do the Wednesday night Bible class in the sanctuary that they have. And so it gave me the opportunity to step in at their request and uh, do biblical teaching that I developed over our 20-something years of pastoring for my Wednesday night class. So I went in and I did a, a, an eight-week series on the book of Revelation, or I call it Prophecy 101, and we learned 10 major Bible prophecy themes, and, and I mean, we just had a really good time. I said, okay, this, this will get them through the transition till we get the new pastor here. Well, the new pastor happened to be the youth pastor, <laughs> and so when he got elected to be the new pastor, it didn't solve the Wednesday night problem because he had 120 kids outside on Wednesday night that he couldn't leave. So they still had a Wednesday night gap. Well, I just stepped up and said, well, I happen to have a few more of those teachings if you want me to come back. Why? Because I love to teach the word of God. In this office, I get a opportunity every Sunday, two or three times a Sunday to preach somewhere, during the week to preach. We'll preach this next week for a sister district. We, we're preaching all the time. But that teaching aspect 
That teaching aspect uh, was one that I didn't get to do a lot of. So I've had the privilege, I just finished uh, an 11-week series on the tabernacle. Uh, my last, Wednesday night a week ago was my last one. I told him, I said, okay, it's yours now. I've messed this church up as bad as I can. I'm gonna give it to you to fix it. And I'm gonna go on about my merry way. But I had that opportunity because I love to do that. I love to preach, I love to teach. So that aspect of shepherding was never one that I bit my nails about too much. I've always had the gift of gab, and now preaching is more than the gift of gab. I understand that, uh, but however, it helps maybe if you know. I've never been afraid to get up in front of people and talk, and and the Lord just always is blessed and give you a word, and then give you His anointing when you get up to preach, and He's just been faithful in that. And I can just say it never scared me. Okay, never scared me to preach, never scared me to teach. I enjoyed that. That's been fun. Caring for the sheep. As I said, I was raised in a pastor's home. My mother and my dad. My mother didn't hold any credentials, but she was as called of God as my dad ever could have been. She was committed. I mean, she was the church secretary because everything happened at the parsonage. There was no such thing as a church office in those days. My mother had a telephone cord that was 12 feet long, and she cooked with it, and she talked on the phone. You'd have thought you'd have had the greatest church secretary in the world. She cooked. She'd go folding clothes, go to the washroom with that... Telephone cord, all the young people are going, what's he talking about, a charger? No, I'm talking about the days before this was the phone, okay? I'm talking about the days when the thing hung on the wall and you spun things. Oh, you don't even understand at all, never mind. Oh, I've had too many birthdays to be relevant, I'm afraid. But now you get it, okay? So that's, that's how we lived our life. So I was raised in that atmosphere. Uh, you know, I mean, I was taken to funerals as a kid uh, repeatedly. <laughs> How, you know, I, I, I've made hospital visitations with my dad. Terry, you know what I'm talking about. I, I was just exposed to that all of my life. It was just a natural thing to me. And just kind of the way I'm wired. Uh, man, I'm, this may be too much therapy this morning. I, you know, I... I just the way I'm wired, I, I like to feel like I'm needed. You know, I, I like to feel like I'm a blessing to someone. Man, if I can get in the middle of somebody's problem and pray with them and love on them and help them, uh, it's just the way God wired me up. I'm like, man, this makes my day. I enjoy this. You know, I don't enjoy their difficulty. I don't enjoy their problem. But there's a satisfaction that comes from knowing you're helping people walk through dark places and all that. And that's just been a natural part of my life all of all these years. And so caring for the sheep <coughs> was always something that I enjoyed. In, in as much as you can enjoy it. It's something that I, I felt comfortable in. Maybe I should say that. I felt like, okay, I can do that. I can make a hospital visit. Okay, I, I can preach a funeral. I can help a family through this. I know uh, the hundreds that I've done, if I didn't know how to sit down with a family and help them to make all the right decisions when a loved one passed away and all those things they just didn't think about. And, you know, uh, that just became second nature to me. I could just do that. I didn't worry about any of that, okay? So feeding the sheep was, was good and caring for the sheep was good. But can I be really transparent with you and tell you that leading the sheep was where I struggled the most? That's where I got most fearful, because there's something about leading that brings in the uncertain. You're like, I'm fixing to step where nobody else has stepped yet, and I got to step there first. Am I sure that there's going to be something there for me when I step? Have I really heard from God? Is this really the direction of God? Before I can take these people on a journey with me, then I've got to lead it out. You know, I can see a shepherd standing in front of the flock, they're over here grazing, just loving the green pastures that they've come to, the current season that they're in. They're enjoying that so wonderfully well. And here I see this shepherd, he's checking them, he checks the perimeter, everything looks good. And he turns around, steps up to the top of the hill, and begins to look beyond. Because he knows these green pastures will not be good enough forever. He has to take them somewhere else. And the shepherd says, wow. There's uncertainty there. This is a safe place, but there's uncertainty there. I'm not sure if they'll all make it. I'm not sure if they'll all take the journey. I'm not sure how this is going to look. and It's going to take work. It would be easier for us just to stay here and let's stay comfortable with what we have. It was the leading that was the most difficult thing for me. It was scary. To think that we were taking people on a spiritual journey and taking a church on a spiritual journey. And it was, and it's right, very unique, as Pastor said. 
I couldn't find very many other churches that were 14 miles from the nearest Piggly Wiggly that was needing to go to two services on a Sunday and those kind of things. And they were all just experiments for us. I mean, that's, they weren't for God, okay? I'm not, I, it was not an experiment for God. God knew exactly what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, and how it was all going to work out. The experiment is, is what I felt like. I felt like we were, just, we were just the laboratory rats trying to figure this thing out and trying to figure out what it looked like. So we went to the church as 23-year-old pastors, and a lot of wisdom flows from a pulpit when the pastor's 23 years old, I'm telling you. There's a, <clears throat> I specialized in, uh, I specialized in uh, parental teaching and training in those days. How to raise your children. I was an expert in that area of teaching. And then we had one. <laughs> and then we had another one. I burned all of my notes, did away with all the old cassette tapes. You don't know what those are either. I know, but they were things that, well, anyway, you don't even need to learn that today. I did away with all those teaching because it wasn't as easy as it looked like from my armchair quarterbacking perspective. <clears throat> so I went back also to a church where I had been the youth pastor before, where I'd been the preacher's kid before. Because my dad had pastored that church and I'd been the PK. It was the first place that I'd ever been a youth pastor. I was that church's first youth pastor. I went to two other churches, was youth pastor after that. But I had my family sitting there, uncles and aunts in the congregation and other stuff. It was a church of about 75, 80 people uh, whenever we went back there to pastor it. And uh, so trying to establish yourself as a leader at 23 years old among friends and family that have known you, some of them all of my life, uh, I had my challenges in that, possibly more within myself than with anything else. But leading was a struggle because leading is where the risks are. Uh, there's some risk maybe in feeding and caring, but there's very little risk in feeding and caring. The real risk is in the leading. And when you start moving and doing something, can I tell you it's the same way in your life? You can sit down and stay right where you are and you might survive and get through it okay. And you think right now that's the easiest, the path of no resistance. Let's just stay right here and just do what we're doing in your own personal life. But there's times you've got to push yourself. You've got to get yourself up and lead yourself to somewhere else. Amen. You say, I'm not staying here. I got to change some things in my life. And those are not easy to do. New territory is always difficult for all of us. Leading means that we're going to be moving to something different, changing. Things are coming to, to a different level, to a new perspective. And the leading piece was what was always most difficult for me. <clears throat> we were there for three years and the church began to expand and grow and we had a small building and we had overflowed it. I mean, we could not get in the building anymore. We had chairs out every Sunday. We had knocked out some little overflow rooms and we were doing everything we could do to accommodate the people because, well, we didn't have much land to start with and, and we sure didn't have any money. <laughs> Money's pretty important when you start jumping out into some of these things. We had no money. We didn't have anything. And, and, and I didn't know what to do. And I was young and, and inexperienced. And I, all I knew to do was pray and ask God. And, but God had given me a vision before we actually came to the church. In the 30 days that we were working our leave of absence out at Pace Assembly where we were youth pastors, it was a strange transition. I mean, we had a youth group of 300 plus kids in that church at Pace. It was a church of about 2,500 at that time. And we were leaving that to go to a church of 75 people, had less people in the church than we had in our youth group. And it was just a really weird transition we were going through. But during that time of transition, God gave me a clear vision for that building that's sitting there today. I could tell you what it was going to look like. I could show you the size, the dimensions of it. God gave that to me, but he said, keep that in your heart. It's not for now. So I, I kept the vision in my heart and we went to the church. We pastored for three years. At the end of three years, the church was exploding and growing and we were sitting in a board meeting one night and, and five board members were sitting there and they looked at me and said, what are you going to do with all these people that are coming? <laughs> so it's my problem. <laughs> what are you going to do with all these people that are coming? Well, we don't have room for them anymore. You know, what are we going to do? And the Holy Spirit said, show them what I showed you. So I reached in my desk drawer and I pulled out the papers that I had drawn on three years ago, graph paper, that I'd grown, drawn somewhat to scale the building that I felt that the Lord wanted us to build and where it was to go on the property and how it was to fit. They all looked at it and said, yeah, but we don't have that much land. I said, yes, we do. I've prayed over this for three years. I've walked that 80 by 80 square for three years and prayed over it. Let's go outside. And I took those five board members and I stood one of them at each one of the four corners and I took the senior elder board member with me to approximately where the pulpit would be. 
And I said, this would be the corners of the church. This is the way it would lay out. It would be about 350 seats on the bottom floor, 150 in the balcony, and 50 in the, in the choir. And this is what it would look like, and this is what it would be. And we all came together there and prayed, and the Holy Spirit fell that night on that prayer, and faith began to arise. That's all I can say. So we moved out in faith, and we asked the church, and this is tough leading, I said, do you think we could do this? Well, we got to do something. So yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. I said, okay. So they voted to do the building. I said, well, guess what you got to do now? Now you got to pay for it. <laughs> so if you feel like this is God's will, then he must know somewhere in this house, there's enough money to pay for it. <laughs> <clears throat> then they knew I'd quit preaching and went to meddling then, you know, so, um, they're like, okay, he's crazy. We knew he was, you know, he's just 20 at this point, I'm 26 years old. And uh, we're venturing into a building program that uh, we really, you know, I, I didn't know how much it was going to cost. I thought it was going to cost probably close to a million dollars, to be honest with you. And uh, we're venturing out into that project. And I've never seen an offering in that church at that time over $2,500. That would have been huge. Probably 2000 2200 was like a wow offering in those days. Okay, average offering is $1,100, $1,200, $1,400 a Sunday. And I mean, we're just barely making, we got $2,500 in the bank. <laughs> and we're venturing out to do this. But God said, you know, this is where we're going. This is where we need to go. So we gave our people a chance 30 days after they voted to build the building to do a sacrifice Sunday offering. I didn't know what that was. I just knew it was what the Lord put in my heart to ask them to do. I said, whatever you're planning to do in the next 90 days to six months in your life, would you put it on hold for the kingdom of God? And would you take whatever you're planning to spend on a new TV or bass boat or whatever it is, and would you invest that in seed faith in the future of this church? Because I feel like God is leading us to something greater than what we have. It's scary. So we took a sacrifice Sunday offering. I had the five board members come up front and hold baskets, and I preached a little bit about sowing the, the seed and seeing the harvest, and I was scared to death. People came up. I said, I want you to come put your offering in, but I want you to lay your hands on the basket and pray over it and believe for financial miracles through this whole process. So they did. They came. They gave. They prayed. So I said, now I want you board members to take that out and count it and come back with me a total real quick. And so I continued to talk and exhort and sang a song or something, and nobody came back. <laughs> I sang another song, exhorted a little bit more, and nobody came back. <laughs> We're getting on into this thing, 15, 20 minutes is clicking by, and nobody's come back. I said, dear Lord, we got $118.14, and they all went out the back door and have left me with this debacle to try to figure out how to pull this church back together. I had no idea what was happening behind that door. I, I was just like, okay, I wanted to say, somebody go get them. But I, you know, I'm like, okay, this is all, you know, you knew you were supposed to count the offer and bring me back a total. One board member was not negative about the project, but he was just... He just didn't see how God would ever provide for it, Pastor. He, just, he, he wasn't negative about it. He just said, I know we need it, and I think it's a good plan, but man, that just, I just don't think it's going to happen. There's no way we'd ever pay for it. And all of a sudden, there was these side doors, and the side door opened up, and that board member walked in, and tears were running down his face. And I said, oh, this is either real good or real bad. <laughs> There's no in-between now. We are fully committed. And he walked up to me and grabbed me and hugged me. I said, I think it's good. <laughs> or maybe that was the consolation hug. I don't know. Good to know you. We enjoyed the little time you were here. <laughs> Go find you another job. Find another church to destroy. And he hands me the adding machine tape, and I can tell that it's been calculated on a few times. They ran the totals a few times. And again, now I've never seen an offering in that church over $2,500 would have been huge at that time. There are no millionaires in that church, no rich people, just hardworking country people that love the Lord. And he handed me an adding machine tape and circled at the bottom. It was total giving that day, not pledges, but giving that day. It was $27,860-something had been given in that offering that morning. Wow. Yeah. I understand in today's dollars, that's not, that wasn't the building, but boy, it was a faith boost. 
that we were moving in the right direction. It was phenomenal. People had given sacrificially. That did something. I don't know. It just re- recalculated that whole church, recalibrated that whole church. And people, so some people said, well, I, you know, I, I didn't get in on that this morning. I want to get, before it went to the, to the bank on Monday morning, the thing grew to thir, almost $32,000, $31,900-something. It's what we actually took to the bank that next morning as the first offering toward the vision that God had given us in that church. So, well, why would you share that story with me this morning? Because I know you're standing as a church looking ahead for new things, exciting things. I saw the pictures in the foyer, and I, I'm aware that, you know, you're, you're moving ahead to some things. Let me tell you something. God is going to see you through that entire journey. Amen? You just understand, this is God's church. Let me tell you what I believe you want to do at Evangel Church. I believe this with all my heart. I believe you want to set this church up to not only be effective today, but should Jesus tarry his coming, we want to hand this church off to the next generation with the best tools and equipment and facilities that we could possibly ever give them. Amen? We don't want to give them a rundown building. We don't want to give, we don't have a rundown building, but we don't want to give them something that they've got to figure out how to bring up to where it needs to be for the next level of this church. I believe I know the heart of this church would say, we want to hand off to the next generation something that's ready for them to not only for us today to use, but to use in years to come if Jesus tarries his coming. What an opportunity to get involved in something like that. Amen. I think that's awesome. Amen. And I'm excited about it. And I believe that the future is great. It's the leading piece that, that it's so, it, it's, it's nerve wracking, man. You'll spend, and I'm no Pastor Terrell would probably verify this. I think he would. You'll lose more sleep over the leading piece many times. Now, pastoral care will definitely weigh on you. You'll, you'll cry with people and you'll lay awake at night praying over people. But it's that leading piece that gnaws at you all the time. Where are we going? What's the next step? What are we going to do? But a good shepherd, a good shepherd will listen to the good shepherd, amen, and let him be the ultimate lead. And then as you as a church rally behind the vision, remember what we said, without a vision, the people perish. What does that mean? If you leave these sheep here where they are, they will eventually eat all of this grass and they will die without a vision. As the shepherd steps up to the peak of that hill and he looks over and says, I see another grassy knoll right over there. It's a journey. It's a stretch. We're going to have to herd the sheep. We're going to have to ask everybody to come along and, and, and get the vision with us. But I see something that we need to, to set our goal and our heart toward. And as a church, we rally behind that. And as the sheep, we go, bah, bah, and we follow, amen? We get behind that. We get behind that vision. You trust your leadership. You have great leaders in this church that serve with your pastor. And you say, you know what? If this is what our leadership believes that we need to do as a church, then we want to rally behind that because we know we can't stay here forever. We can't stay in this spot. I'm not talking about geographically here. I'm talking about where we are on our journey. We can't stay here. You've got to keep moving. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He won- they wandered for 40 years, but the, the, the plan was get to the promised land. There was more. There was always more. God will always have more for you. And the more, you, the more he has and the deeper you go, the greater the challenges will become sometimes. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And yes, it's a little scary. And yes, there's a lot of risk involved when you start moving. But the other, uh, the other option is we stay where we are. We eat up all the green grass and everybody dies here. We don't want that. Amen. We want to set ourselves up for what God has for us. Go into his preferred future for our church and believe God for that. And I thank God for our shepherd today who is leading us in those directions. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Go ahead. That's in order right there. And just so you kind of know how to pray. <laughs> Maybe I'm being too transparent and Pastor Terrell may come back next Sunday and tell you what he said last Sunday is not true. It doesn't bother me at all. But I would believe today that leading, for me, I know, was the scariest part of the shepherding model. Taking people to the next level, leading them, and taking those risks that are involved. So I challenge you to pray for your pastor during these very pivotal times in your church. Lift up his hands. Lift up his arms. Lift up your leadership, your board, and others that are making decisions for your church to move forward. And get behind this vision. The first time that I preached here, five years ago on Pastor Appreciation Day, I preached a message entitled, Four Ways to Miss a Miracle. And one of the things, I used the, the, the lunch... And Jesus taking the fish and bread and feeding the 5,000. One of the things I told you that day was that there was a man in that crowd that had a lunchbox. 
And in that lunchbox, he had a few little hush puppies and some brim, or whatever they were, a couple of catfish, whatever it was. And the disciples didn't think there was anything there. But Jesus knew that man was there with his lunchbox. And Jesus knew what was in his lunchbox. And all Jesus was waiting on was for that man to surrender what was in his lunchbox. And once he did, Jesus took it and broke it and made the miracle. Let me just tell you something. Jesus knows what's in your lunchbox. I'm praying about this service today. The Lord said, remind them what you told them five years ago. (laughs) Jesus knows what's in your lunchbox today. And he's looking for you to bring willingly what's in your lunchbox and give it to him. For some of you, that's one number or one thing. It can be more than a number. It can be your time, your talents. You see, we built that building. When we moved into it, it was, Church Mutual said it was worth $1.7 million, the sanctuary alone, not counting the other buildings that were adjoined to it. It only cost us $532,000 to build it because God sent volunteer laborers and favor from places unbelievable. If I had three hours and I don't, and I'm closing right now, don't panic. God saved methamphetamine addicts, alcoholics, you name it, and brought them into our church that were plumbers, electricians, sheetrock finishers. I just could go on and on and on and on and on and tell you. It was an unbelievable series of miracles that started with that sacrifice Sunday that I shared with you a while ago. And I share that with you just to let your faith run high today and just know God's got this thing. Amen. And God's going to carry you where you need to go as a church. I'm excited about the future of this church and I'm excited that it's not going to perish because there is vision in the house. Amen. And there's visionary leadership in the house. Now let me close this on a personal basis today. We're talking about a good shepherd who feeds us, who cares for us, who leads us as a church. See, that vision has to start in that pastor's heart. It has to start in that pastor's heart. And then it comes through the leadership to the body. And thank God for it today. But let me just tell you something. He, our pastor, Pastor Terrell Todd, is a good shepherd. But there is the good shepherd today. Jesus proclaimed this in John 10, 10, that he was that good shepherd. And I just want to tell you what he'll do for your life today. If you're in this room today and you go, man, I didn't come to hear stories from some guy telling something happened 20 something 30 years ago uh, that doesn't help me a bit today okay here's what you came for right here you're hungry there's a gnawing hunger inside of you for something and you're trying to satisfy it and you can't figure out what it is have you ever just been hungry in the natural for something you just can't figure out what it is no matter what you eat you don't get satisfied you get that same way in life sometimes and you've been eating a lot of junk food in your life I don't know what that is or I'm not going to list a list, but you know the direction you've been going lately and the things you've been trying to satisfy your life with are not satisfying you. Well, the good shepherd Jesus is here today in this house, and he wants to take you to green pastures and feed your soul on what you're hungry for. You're looking for Jesus, and you just don't know it. You're looking for his life that he brings into your life, and you just don't know it. Secondly, I want you to know the good shepherd is here today, and he cares for you. You're one of his sheep, whether you know it or not. He said in that John 10 passage, he said, I've got sheep that's not in the fold yet. You don't even know about, but he knows about you. Jesus loves you today and he cares for you. And you may have sores on your head as sheep get. You may have wounds from where you've been in the briars and the brambles of life. And you may be limping this morning. You may have to limp your way spiritually to this altar in just a moment this morning. But I want to tell you, there's a good shepherd here who will anoint your head with oil. He'll wipe up your wounds. He'll bandage you up. He'll put your life back together this morning because he loves you and cares for you. He is not going to knock you down. He's not going to leave you abandoned and like many others have done in your life. He cares for you. He legitimately loves you. He loves you so much that he died for you. And man, you talk about leading. He wants to take you from the mess you're in and lead you out of it to a life that you could never dream could be so wonderful. He has plans for you that you know not of and ways to bless you that you could not imagine. You're not here by accident today. You've come to meet the good shepherd. Bow your head with me this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit today. And Lord, I just ask you this morning to hover over this congregation for just a moment now. And I pray that if there's one here today that's hungry, if there's one here today that 
just is broken and needs a visit from the good shepherd. If there's somebody here that feels lost and they're wandering and they're, they're in a trap and they feel like there's no way out, Lord, they need someone to lead them today. You want to feed them on good things, care for them and bring them to a place of healing and lead them to the new places that you have for their life. Now, I ask you to do it right now across this congregation while heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning. Thank you for your patience and me going a little bit lengthy today. But how many of you today in this room would say, that's me, pastor. I'm hungry for something and I just don't know what it is. Or maybe you'd say I'm broken and I need healing today. Or maybe you'd say I need direction. I just don't know what the next step is. I just don't know where to go. I don't know what the next thing. Do you need the care of the good shepherd, the good shepherd today? Just raise your hand if you do. We're not going to embarrass you. God bless 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 you. Thank you. Thank you. Just lift your hand. God bless you, sir. Jesus sees you this morning. God bless you, ma'am. Jesus cares for you today. Are there any others this morning? Just say, that's me. I need to be, I need, I'm hungry for something and I'm not satisfied and I, I'm hurting and I need help or, or I'm lost and I need direction. If it's you, just don't, don't be afraid to slip your hand up. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.